Well, good morning. Excited to still be in First Peter. It's a message series entitled Hope. It's because we have hope in Jesus Christ, the leader and savior of our life. And today we're looking at life on purpose. Life on purpose. Before we do that, I want to show you a picture of my family. We just got back from a vacation. Here we are. This is day one in the car. I think Jen took a picture like every day of our vacation. So by towards the end, we're looking a little bit more ragged and, and frazzled. But this is day one. We thought, hey, vacation time. We've got a couple of weeks. Hawaii, the beach, a cruise. No, we decided to go to Saskatchewan. So 35 hours in the car on the way there. 30 hours on the way home, we took a little bit of a different driving route. Um, but if we're talking about life on purpose today, I will say there were times when we were in this car for hours and hours and hours, I was questioning the purpose of why we were doing this. But it was a good time. It was a really good time together as a family. We're glad to be back. And today we are still in First Peter. The thing about First Peter is this letter is to offer encouragement to persecuted Christians that they can have hope in Christ, the chief cornerstone, that they can be living stones in God's living temple. And he wants, Peter writes to his readers, to his audience, to give them this hope and encouragement to stand firm in the face of opposition, of pretty severe persecution. So it's generally accepted that this letter was written just prior to Nero's persecution of Christians. And, you know, Nero was the guy who blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome, and so just came with terrible persecution. Um, so the, the readers of this letter, this would have been very timely, this message of hope, encouragement, it would have been just perfect timing. As Christians today, as followers of Jesus today, we also have opposition. But in our context, we don't have the same type of persecution, especially in North America, specifically in America where we are here But we do uh, have increasing opposition because our society is becoming more and more uh, progressively post-Christian, more and more secularized, and that's just the reality. So Barna Barna has put out some research recently. Uh, It was, I think, a seven-year-long study. It just ended in 2016 that the percentage of people dedicated to Christianity or following Christ has changed significantly, especially in the last 50 years. And uh, the influence of our faith is in the public square is just, and, and in culture is, is waning compared to where it used to be. Uh, his study said this, The San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose area is the most unchurched metro area in the whole country. With over the majority of those people saying in the last six months they have not even attended one church service. Um, the findings that were concluded in December found that 21% of Americans say they have no religious identity. So that's not just Christian identity, it's any kind of religious identity. No religious identity. That number used to be 15% just a few years ago back in 2008. So the climate's changing. For some, this causes a lot of um, stress and even uh, just feeling anger over the whole changing um, landscape. But here's the thing. Here's the opportunity it gives us. Back in the day when culture was so vastly Christian, Christian, it was really a nominal Christendom. And sometimes it could have been hard to figure out, okay, everybody on my street goes to church, but who's actually a follower of Jesus? 
Well, now, at least as the culture is changing, if, you're, if we're really going to follow Jesus, we can really stand out. We can really be unique. We can really have an impact in this kind of post-Christian emerging uh, landscape of our society. So be encouraged. You can really have an impact as a Christ follower. So Peter's just been talking about how Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation of God's house, and the world did not receive him. They stumbled over him because Jesus came like a servant when they were expecting a king. He came to suffer when they were expecting a conqueror. And the Jews rejected him. And not just the Jews, but the rest of the unbelieving world, even since that time, continues to reject Jesus. But as followers of Jesus, we can live and write a different script for our lives. I invite you to stand. We're going to read the text for today. It's in First Peter 2, um, verses 9 through 12. If you have a red Bible or want to grab one from the Connection Center, it's on page 1024. Here we go. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Go ahead and take a seat. In this section of First Peter, Peter begins by clarifying the nature of the church. And it's interesting that of all these descriptive words that he uses here to describe the church, they were originally used to describe or refer to Israel. We've got a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. These were all used to describe Israel. However, with Israel's rejection of Jesus, God creates a new body of people, the church, through whom now he is going to accomplish his purposes. That said, God's not done with Israel. And if you want to learn more about that, we've got a unique opportunity here at Bethany. I think Pastor Brian has a few more spots on the Israel trip um, with people from our church and surrounding churches in November. So if you're interested, talk to Pastor Brian today or soon. That would be a great opportunity to learn more about Israel and its purposes and the current climate today. So God's not done with Israel, and he's got a purpose for the church. And last week, verse 7 said this, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. So Israel rejected Christ, the cornerstone, but God is going to continue to carry on his purpose through the church. Here's the thing about Israel. Israel was a, was a, a physical race, is a physical race of people, the literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The church is a spiritual Race, the members of which comprise both Jews and Gentiles. So we're spiritual descendants of Abraham. We're not his literal descendants. Uh, unless, of course, as a Christ follower, you're also an ethnic Jew than you are. But we are his children in the sense that we believe those promises of God. So being in Christ as the spiritual descendants of Abraham, our lives should be different. They should be radically different, drastically different. From the world around us. 
Do you feel this when you think about your life? Think about the, the street that you live on and maybe picture or the apartment you live on or wherever, wherever you live. Think about your neighbors, maybe three or four on this side, three or four on that side. It's possible that none of those people um, know Jesus in a personal way, attend a weekly gathering with other followers of Christ. Do you feel like you're different in a positive way that really brings the light of Christ to your community? How about in the workplace? Do you feel that? Do you just kind of fit in and just fly under the radar? Or do you feel like you're making a real impact as a disciple of Jesus in your context, whatever that may be? Matthew 5.13, Jesus said the same thing. He says, you are the salt of the earth. So as Christians, we help preserve the world from decay and we bring a healing presence. Really excited about that grief share support group that's emerging here at Bethany, that through that group, to those in our church and in our community that have experienced loss, we can be a presence of healing in a group cooperative way. It's going to be a great thing. Because of this radical difference, Christians will be mocked and persecuted. And we know that this was definitely happening in the setting there in First Peter. And it's happening today just in different ways as well. Here's the thing. Peter communicates all the blessings that these suffering Christ followers have received. And there's a purpose for these blessings. He wants them to know that they are valued and loved and that they have a special calling on their lives. And the same is true for us as well. So here's the first thing that Peter says. He calls them a chosen people. Verse 9. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. This is Old Testament wording, which was commonly applied to Israel. Look at Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. So in the same way that Israel was called and chosen to be God's people, the church is now chosen to be God's people and witnesses for him wherever we go. This is all because of the great grace of God through Jesus Christ. So this would have been a very important message for that original audience to hear because of how poorly they had been treated by others in the midst of situations of persecution. This would have been incredibly encouraging to hear these attributes about their identity in Christ. Look at how some of the apostles were treated in 1 Corinthians 4 and 11 through 13. I'll go ahead and read this. Even now we go hungry and thirsty. We don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We're beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We gently appeal when evil things are said about us. Yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everyone's trash, right up to the present moment. So being a group of people that would experience that type of treatment but yet respond with blessing those who curse them, being patient with people, gently appealing when all this horrible stuff is happening. This would have been an encouraging word to them. So here's the question. What, if we're part of this by extension as followers of Jesus today, what are we chosen for? First Peter 2.9 gives us some clues. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession, As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So first, 
we are to be royal priests. See, this was likely a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles. Most scholars believe it was primarily Jewish. So this term, royal priest, would have immediately struck a chord with them. Why? Because in the Old Testament Jewish context of the terms royal and priest, they didn't really function together. That was two distinct functions. Priests came through the the line of Aaron from the tribe of Levi, and kings were then from the line of Judah and were anointed by the priest to be the king. This meant that the king was then empowered by God to rule Israel and fight the battles of the Lord. But on a couple of occasions, kings would try to do everything. They tried to do the priestly duties as well. King Saul and Uzziah tried to merge this, and they paid for it dearly. They were judged. One time King Saul was anxious to go to battle. He didn't want to wait for the priests, so he went and offered a sacrifice by himself. Didn't work out. He was judged for that. Same with with Uzziah. He actually ended up being judged, became a leper for the rest of his life, trying to merge these two roles. So the, the, the concept of a royal priest would have really caught their attention for that reason. But in the New Covenant, there's no longer a priest that we need to uh, have that comes from a specific line or specific tribal line. Jesus is our kingly high priest. And because of being followers of Jesus, by extension, we are also called royal priests. Look at Romans 8, verse 17. It says this, If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. So we're heirs with God. We are going to reign with Jesus. But on earth, we also have a job to do to point people to Jesus as royal priests here on earth. As royal priests, Jesus has given us authority. He says, go and make disciples. We have authority to tear down spiritual strongholds and fight spiritual battles through prayer and teaching God's word, all the while putting on the armor of God. And we can have a passion for intercessory prayer. So think about whatever your context you're in and think of yourself as a royal priest in your neighborhood, in your workplace, at your school, among your circle of friends that don't know Jesus. And you can intercede for them. You can pray and you can point them to Christ so that they too can be a royal priest. So we're chosen to be royal priests. What a great, great privilege as followers of Jesus. Our identity in Christ is one of great blessing and great responsibility. That's point number one, if you care to take notes today. Great responsibility, great, or I should say great blessing and great responsibility. Also part of this blessing, we are called a holy nation. Exodus 19.6 says this, You will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So as a holy nation, Israel was set apart to do good works, to serve God, to worship Him, but also to be a light to the nations. They weren't necessarily sent out in an evangelistic way like we are as New Testament believers, but they were to be a light to the nations that people could look at them and see God's heart and being drawn to God in that way. Likewise, as Christ followers, we are set apart to do what God has planned for us to do. I love this verse. Look at Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. The good things that He's planned for us to do. 
In the original language, this word masterpiece is the same word used for poem. So think of it this way. God's an artist. He's crafted this poem. Every part of speech is in that poem in exactly the place that it should be to give a beautiful result, literary work. And our lives are like that. God is carefully crafting us as a masterpiece, using every little piece, every event in our life, everything that we've been taught from God's Word, even the hard times and the trials in our life for the purpose of creating a masterpiece, for doing what we were called to do, what He planned for us to do long ago. Even the things that are painful in our life, He can use. Now hear me on this a little bit. I'm not saying that God causes all the horrible things that happen to people. Remember, the devil is around and he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. But God is ultimately sovereign and can use even the the schemes of the evil one for his glory. So we are also God's very own possession. Again, this is something that was said about Israel in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 7.6, we looked at that. Chosen to be his own special treasure. So what does this, what does this exactly mean for the readers of this letter and for us as followers of Jesus to be God's very own possession? It means that not only are we created to do what God planned for us to, to do long ago, to do good works, to point people to Jesus, but get this, it also means that God enjoys you. Do you understand what that means? We know that God loves us. God enjoys you. That's why he created us. To enjoy our fellowship. To bring glory to him. Think about that. God shows you for the purpose of his pleasure. We've got a couple of references here that shed some light on that. Ephesians 1.18 I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he has called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So we want to understand this confident hope he's given to us. And what does he call us? He calls us his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Similarly in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. See, we're a people that God enjoys. We are his special possession, his very own possession. Have you ever thought about God singing over you with joy and that he enjoys you even when you mess up, even when you make mistakes? I think this would free us from a lot of just being uh, feeling a sense of negativity and condemnation. As Christians, there's no condemnation for us because we're in Christ. But sometimes we get in ruts. We just feel a weight. But that's not how it is. We're God's very own possession. He enjoys us and He sings over us. So as believers in Jesus, we're a chosen people, we're royal priests, we're a holy nation, and we're God's very own possession. But what is the purpose of this identity that we have? The second part of verse 9 says this, As a result, you show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So our identity in Christ results in an overflow of living out the goodness of God. It's point number two. We can have this overflow in our life of living out the goodness of God. And this affects others. It's not just simply for us to just enjoy our own 
right standing and salvation with God. But we have this purpose to glorify God through telling others about Him, about the goodness of God. We do this through living lives that reveal the fact that we're becoming more and more like Jesus, but also about telling other people about the good news and the reality of Jesus and what He's done. A number of you took the Becoming a Contagious Christian workshop that we had prior to City Fest. That was a good reminder for us that there's different ways to communicate the gospel in different styles based on your personality, how God's created you. So we all work hard at becoming a contagious Christian and sharing Jesus in the way that He's uniquely created us. And we're motivated to do this because of this, because of the great, great mercy that we've received. Look at verse 10. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. This section is referencing um, a selection of verses from Hosea in the Old Testament where the prophet is describing Israel's rejection, or God's rejection of Israel, followed by a future restoration. So Peter is now applying this to all Christians, and he's saying, look, just like Israel had been rejected by God and had no hope, at one point, us as followers of Jesus, we were apart from Christ with no hope, and now we have hope because of Jesus, because we've received God's mercy in the person of Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Think about it this way as a definition for mercy. Mercy is God's compassionate treatment of us, even though we deserve the full measure of His justice. We've really got to meditate on this sometimes um, to get to just reiterate in our own lives how thankful we are to have this identity that First that Peter is telling us about. We've received such a great mercy from Jesus. I love the fact that this summer at Bethany, we've had ample opportunity to, as a community, and reaching out to our neighborhood, really hammer home this idea of God's love and mercy towards people. We had a great week at Kids Summer Blast. Many kids heard the gospel message and heard about God's great love for them. One of those made a decision for Jesus. The next week we had a basketball camp. The theme of that camp was You Are Loved. On the back of everybody's t-shirt it said You Are Loved. Children there made commitments to Christ. This summer women have studied, um, Sybil's led a group on the parables, a place at the table. Everybody's learned through that study that there's an open place at the table for them. And that through the parables, if their heart is open, they can see the thread of God's love for them running through each of those parables. So this summer has been a great opportunity for us to really immerse ourselves in the fact of God's great mercy toward us. I've got a picture from Summer Splash Night. Here's the story room. A couple people from the storytelling team, they did a great job. And again, children at this storytime room learn about God's mercy. I read a quote from a pastor up north. He summarized the message of Jonah this way. He said, God doesn't run away from runaways. God doesn't run away from runaways. So whether it was Jonah running away or the Ninevites who were far away from God, God didn't run away from them. We've got people in our church praying for prodigals, and they believe the same thing. God doesn't run away from runaways. So again, mercy came through this Wednesday. It was a great time. Finally, we're told that because of who we are in Christ, 
We have to keep away from worldly desires and be careful with our conduct, especially among our unbelieving neighbors and friends. Verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Isn't it interesting that Peter calls the believers then, and by extension us now, temporary residents and foreigners? The idea here is that we are living in a place that is not our true home. We have a brief stay here in a foreign land. So whether you're an American or a Canadian and you're moving to Europe or to Africa, or whether you're over on the other side of the world and you're emigrating to America from overseas, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower in Jesus, whatever country you're in or whatever country you're going to, you're in a foreign land. And you're passing through. It's really interesting to think about. I can't help but think, um, you know, we're, we're in a, a prosperous, safe, comfortable country what do refugees feel, Christian refugees think when they read this? I think they might be able to really take in this text on a level that we can't. I was thinking this week, why is it that I was not born in a refugee camp? Or why is it that I'm not raising my children in a refugee camp? Why am I here in America doing that in relative comfort and safety? And you know, I don't know the answer, but I do know that for, us of, for those of us who live in countries such as ours, that comes with great responsibility to have such a privilege that we have. But I think that people that are displaced, people in refugee camps could read this text and really resonate with that. And really, if they weren't Christians, have an openness towards the gospel because of the desperation. I'd like to think if I was a refugee, the, the, new, the good news of Jesus would really be good news then and forever, that I could have hope and a purpose in my life. It really doesn't matter what we do as a vocation or where we live, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can have the same hope and the same purpose. So whether we live in a refugee camp or you live in a comfortable home in North Fresno, our identity and purpose should be in Christ. Got a couple of cool pictures here for you. We had an MB mission team um, and also a team of Fresno Pacific students that came together and they went to Malawi. This was led by my in-laws, Gary and Ruth Preeb. They were there for nearly um, close to three weeks. Great time of ministry. Everywhere they went, there was at least a contingency of refugees. There's a massive refugee camp there. They also went to other towns and villages, and refugees traveled to, uh, for the different ministry times that were held. And they had a great response. Hundreds of salvations. People experienced healing. There's some baptisms. Deliverance happened. Um, and people were desperate for the good news of Jesus. So I think that those new believers that came to Christ in the last couple of weeks in that setting could read this text and really appreciate this idea of being a temporary resident and foreigner. But you know, we can too. Let's take it in and let the text really sink in. That our home is with Jesus in heaven. Verse 11 and 12 tell us that because we're passing through and our lives must point people to Jesus, we have to remain as untouched as possible by sin. And Peter says the best way to do this is to abstain 
or keep away from all those sinful desires because they're waging war against, against our souls. So once we become followers of Jesus, the spiritual battle often becomes more real. You might have noticed this. If you've recently become a Christian or if you uh, have friends that have recently come to Christ, sometimes things in life get a little bit worse before they get better because the enemy is trying to take back ground and things can get a little bit messy. So it's a real spiritual battle, and that's why we work so hard to keep ourselves unstained by sin. The, the, the tense in the original language here is, saying, is literally saying this, continually stay away from evil desires, because the evil desires are continually waging war. So that never goes away. We can't ever just kind of relax and, and, and not worry about that. We are continually um, staying away from those evil desires. We live wisely because we have an identity, and our identity gives us a mission. Our identity in Christ empowers us to live wisely as we fulfill our mission. That's point number three. We live wisely as we fulfill our mission. Because we are chosen, royal priests, God's very own possession, we have a mission. God's called us out of darkness into light, and now we can point other people to Christ and show them God's love. Peter says here in verse 12 that there's even hope for our unbelieving neighbors. So put it this way. People should be able to tell that we are followers of Jesus because of how we respond, uh, how we live our lives, and how even we respond to mistreatment. Even though unbelieving neighbors might slander us as evildoers, our good deeds in our lives, like the attractiveness of our life, the uniqueness of our life, will prove their slander false. And then our actual, the lives that we live will actually convict them of their sin and hopefully lead them to Jesus. The unbelieving neighbor comes to know God and glorify God. The New Living Translation says this, they will give honor to God when He judges the world. You might see a little star or a little footnote there. Other translations say this, they will glorify God on the day that He visits. The tricky part there is with the grammar in the original language. Some scholars make a case that that is not referring to a certain single one day, like the day of judgment, but the day when God visits could potentially even be the day when they come to Christ, when He visits them in a saving way. So our lives really matter. Matthew 5.16 says this as well, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It's not as hard as we think how to do this. I, I came across a couple, a family. They moved here, and when Thanksgiving came around, they had a big family gathering every year at their, at their house for Thanksgiving, and they invited a neighbor, a neighbor couple, to join them. This neighbor couple didn't necessarily have many friends or contacts, especially not family in the area, started inviting them for Thanksgiving. They did it the next year. They did it the next year. I think it's been eight or nine years now. So this other, this other couple, what do you think they think? They must be thinking, like, what is different about these people? We've lived in all sorts of cities and neighborhoods. Never has somebody included us on the main holiday of the year for eight years in a row. So that's just a simple example of what we can do to... Get people curious about why we are the way that we are. It's living out our identity in Christ to fulfill the mission. So as we close, I want to ask you this. Do you know who you are in Jesus? 
in Christ, chosen, a royal priest, part of a holy nation, God's very own possession, someone who's received great mercy. And does your life reflect your identity and mission to make Jesus Christ known? That's what we're about here at Bethany, making Jesus Christ known. Are you living your life on purpose in that area? And if you're not, if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, perhaps looking at this text in 1 Peter, you're thinking, I would like to do that. I would like to have this identity. I'd like to have a purpose now and for eternity. I'd like to have a unique life empowered by God. I'd like to turn away from the way that I've always been living my life, entangled in in sin and leading my own life, and I'd like to go this way, with Jesus being the leader of my life and leaving behind the weight and the entanglements of sin and having a clean slate, have all my sins forgiven. If that's you, I'd love to talk to you after the service. And... um, It's just my prayer that this text continues to speak to you as you think about being a temporary resident and because of that, having great urgency and purpose in your life here as we live for Jesus now. Let's close in prayer together. Great God, we thank you for your word here in 1 Peter. Jesus, we thank you for our identity in you, that we are your very own possession. We thank you for the great mercy that we've received and experienced in our heart. May we never lose sight of that. May that fuel us to live for you, God. Not out of of obligation, but of great thankfulness for your great mercy towards us. God, empower us by your Holy Spirit to continue to live in ways that draw people to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.